Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, great to be with you this morning, and uh, thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity to share with you. And uh, great to be here. What a great song that is. I love that song. We've been singing it for a while. And uh, how many know that our lives so often can become filled with tradition and religious and, and, you know, routine and all of those kind of things? Uh, You know, one of the things the Lord's been saying to me over the last few days is about the fact that um, the church and a number of people in the church here are in a season of transition. And I want to explain that just a little bit before we get to what I'll... How many know every preacher wants to say something before they get to say what they really came to say? And, um, you know, I, I just have that sense that there are numbers of people here that you are in a season of transition where God is wanting to realign you for a new assignment. And there's a process with that. And often it comes about when we start to feel unsettled with things or or whatever it is, and there's a process. But also, as a church as a whole, I sense very strongly that you are in a season of transition where God wants to do a lot more in this place than what's been going on. And I don't mean that in a sense of being critical about what's been going on, but it's just a new season, and I believe that it's time for the house of God to really be a house of prayer, but also a house of miracles, a house of the power of God, the presence of God, the glory of God, where people can come when they've had a medical declaration over their life that gives them no hope, where people can come that have been bound with addictions and, uh, and destroyed lives in all sorts of ways where they can come and be set free. Come on, somebody. And, um, you know, that's what Jesus said. If you're, if you're a believer, these signs shall follow you. Let me tell you something. The signs of what you believe are following you right now. A lot of people think giving mental assent to something is faith, but it's not. You can read the scriptures and say, yes, I agree with that, because you know you should agree with it because it's in the word, but you have no conviction about it and it doesn't change your life. It's like prayer. Everybody knows, if you say to most Christians, do you value prayer? Is prayer important? They go, yes. But do you know how important it is really to you? It's determined by how much time you spent praying last week. And too much goes on in church that's just totally mental and just agreeing with things but unchanged lives. And we are actually believers and not disciples. We believe what the Bible's we believe in the Bible, but we don't believe what the Bible says. We believe in Jesus, but we don't believe what he said. He said, you, turn to somebody and say, he's talking to you. He's talking to you. He pro- Jesus prophesied over you that you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He prophesied over you that you will cast out devils in the name of Jesus. He prophesied over you that if you believe in his name, the works that he did, you will do also. Come on, somebody. That's the word of the Lord to you out of the mouth of Jesus. It's a promise and a prophecy 
which we seek to fulfill or should be seeking to fulfill in these days. And I want to suggest to you that it's time to change gear. That's why I love that song. Let's break off all the stuff that's been cluttering our lives. Let's get real about the day in which we live and get serious about the fact that all around us there is hopelessness and despair. There's no security in anything. There's no hope for people without Jesus. How many know that's true? That's not just a theoretical, ethereal kind of statement. That's the reality of life. Anyway, good morning. I want to share with you a message that I call Let the River Flow. In Jude, the third verse, the apostle writes, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to the saints. Message Bible puts it this way, I've dropped everything to write to you about this life of salvation that we have in common. I have to write insisting, begging, that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith that was entrusted to us to guard and cherish. You know, it's only a few decades and already the church is drifting away from the original foundation of doctrine and faith that Jesus had established. Already there's been false apostles, false teachers, false prophets. Legalism has crept in. Liberalism has crept in. Intellectualism, secular and, and, and cultural adjustments have crept in. And um, this apostle Jude is saying, I felt I had to write to you and urge you to get back to what we were meant to be. We've drifted away. And it's the, it's the voice of a concerned apostle as he observes what's happening. And it's only a short period of time. If you know, want to know what the church is meant to look like, read what Jesus said about us in the Gospels and then look at the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And we've drifted away. You know, one of the saddest indictments against the church is that so many churches in this nation could shut their doors and the community would never miss them. Probably didn't even know they were around in the first place. And largely, the church in the Western world, in particular, has become increasingly corporate in structure, secular in mindset, and to a large degree, academic and powerless. I'm not here, I know. But some places I go. And I would suggest it's one of the reasons why God is releasing a fresh move of his spirit over this nation. It's just breaking out all over the place where people are hungry and make room for him. And revival is about taking us back to what we were always meant to be. And the reality is that if we need revival, it's an indictment against us in the sense of that we've, where we've drifted to. That it's even necessary. How many know we're meant to live in revival? <laughs> And revival basically means, you know, restoring what was lost. Revival is the fire that used to burn brightly and it's now a few embers and somebody needs to come along and blow on it and put a bit more fuel on it so it gets back to being the fire it was always meant to be. Amen, somebody. 
How many know the house, the church is meant to be a, a lighthouse set on a hill that can't be hidden with such a visible impact on society that they can't ignore us? <laughs> I want to talk to you about the river of God over the next couple of hours this morning. And um, we read about it in the scriptures from the book of Genesis right through to the book of Revelation. There's a, a river flowing in the Garden of Eden. There's a river pictured in heaven. And, of course, it speaks about the flow of God's presence and power, about his life flowing throughout society. And uh, it is a river of life, a river of freedom, a river of healing, a river of the presence and power of God. It's speaking of the moving of his spirit. And Jesus said that out of your inner being will flow rivers of living water. Not a river, rivers, a multifaceted flow of spirit, life, and power flowing out of you. So when we look at the river, it has personal implications because it gives us a picture of what God intends each of our lives to look like. And when we use the word church, so often we think of an organization, a structure, a building, or we're coming to church. No, you are the church. How many know? Come on, you are the church. See. So I want to read to you from Ezekiel chapter 47. Uh, I want to read 12 verses. And it really is a, the, the most comprehensive description of the river of God probably in Scripture. And it's based on a, it's Ezekiel writing out of a vision that he saw. And God's speaking to him. And um, he says this, Then he, there was a man that was leading him, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit leading us. He brought him back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. And the water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate, and he led me around the outside uh, to the outer gate that faces toward the east, and behold, water was trickling out of the south side. I want you to notice the word trickling. The water was trickling out from under the door of the temple, and it was going toward the east. It says, going on eastward, with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits, led me through the water. It was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand, led me through the water. It was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand, led me through the water. It was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? And he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region. It goes down into the Arabah or into the lowlands and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes... Every living thing, every living creature will live and there will be very many fish for this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh so that everything will live wherever the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from 
getting to Enegliam. It'll be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. But they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their food, uh, their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. How many know the Bible pictures you and I as trees of righteousness that are producing fruit and healing? But I want you to notice that these trees, the leaves never wither and they produce fruit every month because their nourishment comes from the river that flows from the heart of God. I want you to notice some things about this. Firstly, the water is flowing towards the east. And as we know, the sun rises in the east and it's speaking of new days, of your future. So that every day of your life, God intends there to be an increasing flow of his spirit, life and power in and through you. It's speaking to your future. How many know it's not about what goes on in this room on a Sunday morning? It's about what goes on in your life, through your life, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every day of your life. There's meant to be the river of God flowing in and through you wherever you go and an increasing measure of the river. And what you notice about this river, and it's absolutely crazy when you think about it, is the supernatural increase of the river. It starts as a trickle and he measures a thousand cubits, which is about 450 meters. And it's ankle deep, another 450 is knee deep and so on. And in actual fact, when the river has gone from a trickle, about 1.8 kilometers, it's now that big a river, you can't cross it. You've got to swim in it. How many know that supernatural increase? Supernatural increase. And I want to say to you and prophesy to you as an individual and to this house, Pastor Keith, that the trickle is meant to become a raging torrent that cannot be crossed. The intention of God in your life, according to Scripture, is that you will go from faith to faith to glory to glory. And that means that the river of God in and through your life is meant to be going at a rate of supernatural increase, a greater anointing, a greater presence of God, a greater spiritual authority, a greater expression of the life of Jesus, a greater ability to minister in the power of God wherever you are, any time, day or night, whoever you are, regardless of age or whatever. Amen. I love this because it's crazy. How many know God's a bit crazy? I sometimes say God's a show-off. You know, he likes to show his power. He wants to display his glory. Everywhere Jesus went, how many know people were freaking out and the stuff going on? That's what a wonder of signs and wonders. Wonders make you go, what the heck was that? That's what it's about. And the glory of God is seen in the demonstration of his power. And anything less than that is not New Testament Christianity. It's a watered-down version of religion. 
Sometimes it gets quiet when I'm preaching. <laughs> the third thing I want you to notice about this river is the need for yielding and giving up control. The man brought him through the water or land Ezekiel, speaking of the Holy Spirit leading us. And it speaks of two or three things. One is the desire and pursuit of his presence and power in our lives. Ezekiel is being led into the river and, and the man is not having to convince him. Say, come on, please come, please come, please come. So the question is, how hungry are you for the presence and power of God in your life? I mean, how desperate are you for him? Really? Am I in a pursuit of him? Do I get up in the morning and say, God, more today? Or am I happy just cruising along? Because one day you're going to stand before him and give an account. I'd rather stand before people that don't agree with me and don't like me than stand before the Lord and have him say some things that I don't want to hear. Or have to admit some things I don't want to admit. The other thing you notice about it is the willingness to go deeper and embrace new things. You've got to embrace it. You know, Isaiah 43 verse 18 says, you know, I'm doing a new thing, can you not see it? But before that it says, remember not the former things, don't even call them to mind. How many know his mercies are new every morning? There's something fresh for you. But if your mindset is based on what you've done before, what you've known before, what you're comfortable with, what's convenient for you, what lines up with your preferences, you're never going to see the new thing God's doing let alone be able to embrace it, let alone be motivated to walk into it. Because you're so caught up with whatever else that you know. How many know we all like change until it affects us? We all like the idea of, of God growing the church and new people coming in until somebody walks in and sit in my favorite seat. Amen. You know, and we all like we all like things to change and develop and grow until something happens that we don't like and somebody makes a decision you don't agree with and then we decide we don't like change so much. There's got to be a willingness to go deeper and embrace new things. Yeah. Let the past go. The third thing you notice, and this is pretty interesting, is, is the issue of control. Because if you're going to go swimming, how do we know you've got to get feet off the ground? I notice when the Holy Spirit moves, there's a lot of people that are like, have you ever, have you ever been in the surf, you know, at the seaside and the surf's rolling in and there's a bit of an undercurrent and you're standing there in the waves but you're trying to hang onto the sand with your feet. You ever been there? You're kind of like... Or maybe you're crossing a stream on the mountain, you're wa- uh, you know, you're walking across the rocks and they're slippery and trying to hang onto them with your toes. I see people like that all the time in the move of the Spirit of God. They want it, but they won't give up control. They've still got plan B. God does not have plan B for your life. There is no other plan. There is no other option. I I notice in ministering to people all the time, when the power of God begins to move, there's people who want to go so far and no further. I've been in situations where you release the power and it comes back and hits you and just about knocks over because there's such so, so resistance. I've seen it many, many times where you release the anointing on this person and the person standing behind to catch them gets knocked over and they don't. Do you have to get knocked over? No. 
I've had people that, that kind of, you know, brag about the fact nobody's ever been able to put me on the ground. Well, you don't have to go on the ground, but the question is, why wouldn't you? Why would you be so proud and arrogant to say nobody's going to, I'm not going to respond to the move of the Spirit unless it's comfortable for me and what I want and, and what I... <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is self-controlled to enable you to control your flesh. It's not to enable you to control Holy Spirit. And the freaky thing is that people pray for a move of God, but when it comes they say, that's not God. The scripture is pretty clear that if you ask for a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a serpent. And that scripture goes on to say, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? (laughs) I've seen it over and over again where people are asking, Holy Spirit, come, come and move, come in power. And Oh, that's not not God. Nobody hears like that, I know, but, you know. There is a fresh wind that's blowing across the nation and the river of God is is rising. And I've just seen so much uh, going on, just even in the last couple of months, we've just been exposed to so much in so many different churches and people having powerful encounters. And my prayer for you individually today is that you will have a life-transforming power encounter and you will never be the same again. And we all need it. Not just an encounter, but multiple encounters. We need a fresh encounter with the Lord every day. But the problem is that many have developed a very self-centered Christianity. Our relationship with God is at our convenience and at our comfort. We fit God into our schedule, into our busy lifestyles. I have people say, well, you know, I pray when I drive to work. Well, that's a great thing. The scripture says pray without ceasing. But the scripture also says when you pray, shut yourself in your room and get alone with God. There needs to be times when all the distractions, if there's one thing God is doing, and we've already heard it in the service, is decluttering lives. Get rid of the stuff that is a distraction and the stuff that is irrelevant. We are living in desperate days And I'm here to tell you this morning, it's going to get worse. Darkness is going to increase and increase and increase. And if you don't have a walk with God that's real and vibrant, and you're hearing from Holy Spirit, and you're walking with Him, you may not survive the next years that are ahead of us. Read your Bible. Uh, Deception is increasing. I'm already aware of pastors of well-known churches and, and people that are being so diverted away from the truth of Scripture, I'm talking Pentecostal churches, that it's absolutely deception, some of the things that are coming out of their mouth. (laughs) You're doing okay? We've only been going 15 minutes. We've got another hour to do you. So what does this river really look like? What are the hallmarks of the river of God. And, and, and how does that, what does that mean for you and I in our individual lives? What does it mean for the body of Christ, the corporate gatherings, the local churches? 
Well, there are two or three things or a few more that I want to talk about uh, for a few minutes with you. But the first thing is it's a spirit of revival. You'll notice it says that where the river comes, every living thing lives. How many of you know there are living things that don't live? There are places you can go, because it's actually talking about the river going into the Dead Sea. And it's called the Dead Sea because nothing can live in it. And I go to churches where, you know, people are living and breathing, but they're not alive. There's no life. There's no vibrancy. There's no flow. There's no power, you know. But when the river comes, it's a spirit of revival to bring people back to life. Restore passion, intensity, zeal for the house of God. Let me read you. I wrote something numbers of years ago now, and, um, and let me read it to you because this is the way I define the spirit of revival. It says it's a stirring flow that challenges the status quo and confronts religious tradition and legalism. It's like John the Baptist, a flame of fire and a burning passion. It's jealous for the honor of God. It contends for true righteousness. It's zealous for the house of God and the name of God. The spirit of revival ebbs and flows. It rises and it falls, responding to the need of the hour and the state of the people. The spirit of revival is gracious, yet it is contentious. It is quiet, and yet it's aggressive. It's silent, and yet it is demanding. It's diplomatic, and yet it agitates. True revival is the heart cry of God. It's the move and motivation of the spirit. The spirit of revival is a driving force behind the prayer that moves the hand of God. It's a spirit within a man or woman that will not lie down, will not cease, will not be quiet, but cries out to God day and night. It's the watchman on the tower. It's the intercessor in the closet. It's the weeping Jeremiah, the pleading saint, disturbed by injustice, frustrated by religious apathy, angry over a powerless church and, uh, and offended by an irrelevant testimony. Every living thing that moves will live wherever the river goes. Revival is a restoration to the heartbeat of God in the heart of his people. The second thing is it's a restoration, it's a spirit of restoration, spirit of revival, spirit of restoration. It speaks about the river running through the valley into the Dead Sea and bringing healing and restoration. Of course, seas are meant to be full of fish and life and the Dead Sea can't sustain it. And like I said a moment ago, uh, places are like that. And of course, in Scripture, fish and, uh, and a multitude of fish being harvested is speaking about the harvest of human souls. That's what it's speaking about. And um, what we need to understand is that restoration and revival work together. Restoration is the work of re-establishing biblical patterns and building them up again, and revival is the breathing of life into that which has been restored. You get a good picture of it on Mount Carmel. Uh, when Elijah's there, before he calls down the fire, you find he rebuilds the altar that had been torn down. He's re-establishing the biblical pattern of worship, and when he's done that, then he calls the fire. And it's the same in Jesus' life. How many know he's challenging mindsets, religious ideologies, all the way through his ministry, he's bringing correct biblical order into people's thinking and then releasing the presence and power of God and healings and miracles and all the rest of it into that. 
And right now, God is restoring the church to a more correct biblical order, particularly in the era of governance and oversight, uh, which is very clear, fivefold ministries and, uh, you know, the the uh, church being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And that, incidentally, is not just talking about historic foundation. It's talking about they are foundational to the ongoing building of the church. And, um, and we see also that Isaiah 61 and 4 says that those who have been filled with the Spirit will restore the broken down, the ruined cities and restore ruined people's lives. How many know there's a spirit of restoration on the house? The spirit of restoration in our lives to bring restoration to other people, to bring revival, but to restore true biblical order that the Spirit of God might be able to move and uh, as is intended. The third thing about rivers is rivers must run. A river must run, otherwise it loses its life and power. When um, we used to live in Adelaide and, and spend a bit of time up on the Murray River, beautiful river, uh, but the problem is they put weirs across it to control the flow uh, for irrigation and all those kind of things. And as a consequence, the mouth of the river constantly silts up and all sorts of stuff and the water's polluted, it doesn't flow. And, you know, I know nobody will deliberately stop the move of the Spirit of God, but we might interfere with it. A weir doesn't stop the flow, it interferes with it. And it has the same effect as if you did block it. The water becomes stagnant. It loses its power. It loses its flow. And Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. In other words, if he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. But if we try to block it up and try to stop up what God is doing, you're going to find that there's not going to be any flow into your own life. And so you become, uh, you know, uh, just your life isn't filled with life. There's a, a stagnant in your life, you get into religious routine. There's no power. There's no freedom, really. You know, we often quote that scripture that says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But actually, that's not what the Bible actually says because the phrase before that in the same verse says, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit, what it's actually saying is, where the Spirit is Lord, there will be freedom. But if the Spirit of God is not given his rightful place, there can never be any freedom. There'll be limited freedom, but there won't be any true freedom and flow of life unless, because Jesus is Lord over the church, but Holy Spirit is Lord in the church. That's why he said, it's better for me to go and then the Spirit will come. Because the Holy Spirit is meant to lead and guide every one of us. Amen. Come on, somebody. Hear from the Spirit. Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. That's how you find freedom and life and healing and, and provision and protection and all of those kind of things. And so remember this. The rivers have got to run, otherwise they lose their life and power. And that's true of the river of God in your life. It might be just a trickle, but that's not what he wants it to stay. The fourth thing I want you to notice is, is this, that God creates a flow, but people create a swamp. Verse 11 says, down the side of the river, there are salty marshes and there are swamps. And they can't sustain life. How many know in a swamp, you don't have any good trees growing. You have reeds and weeds and whatever else, but there are no trees of righteousness growing in a swamp. Because a swamp is a mixture of water and earth, soil. 
How many know earth speaks of the flesh? God creates a flow, but people create a swamp. It's got a bit of water in it, but it can't sustain life. Because when you mix flesh and flow, you always get a swamp. There's meant to be people not mucking around on the edge of the river in a swamp, but diving into the depths of the river, so they're in the flow. But what we like to do is let a little bit of flow come in and mix it with what we want and what we prefer and what our religious tradition or the things we're comfortable with, and we end up with a swamp. It doesn't really create life. It's got a bit of river in it, but not enough to sustain life because we've mixed it with our own agendas and so on. Amen. (laughs) So remember that. God creates a flow, people create a swamp. If you forget that, you can miss the intentions of God for your life. Finally, God intends for rivers to flow through you. John 7 Verse 37 through 39 says, On the last day of the feast, Jesus cried out, shouted out across the crowd, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. How many know you've got to drink of the Spirit? (laughs) Drink of the water of God. Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, he's talking about you, If you believe in Jesus, this is a prophecy for you, promise for you. Out of your inner being will flow rivers of living water. This is what he spoke of the Spirit. And God has placed rivers in each of our lives that's meant to spring up, meet our own needs and flow out to meet the needs of others. And they are the flow of spirit, life and power. But here's the thing, if a river's going to flow through you, out from you, there's got to be a river flowing into you. And soaking in his presence fills you up. Ezekiel found the river was too deep to walk in, it's a water, to swim in, water you could soak in. I wonder if you've ever been to the beach or maybe a river where people are swimming, and you'll see some people just floating around on their back. I like to get out past the surf into, the, into where the, uh, you know, the waves are coming up and, out and just lie on my back, float around. It's actually so relaxing and so refreshing. It's just, it's just awesome. Some of us need to learn to do that in the river of God. Just get into his presence. Just, just, just get rid of the things that, the distractions. Get rid of it. It's a day to really come to terms with that. Put on some decent worship music. Start to pray in the spirit. Lean into his presence. Be still and quiet and listen to him and meditate on the word and, and drink of his presence. See, Paul in writing to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we're all baptized in one body, all made to drink of one spirit. Friends, it's time to do some drinking. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is on the move. I often say to people, you need to put a funnel in the top of your head and let the oil flow in. Come on. <laughs> but some of us don't know how to soak in his presence. We say, oh, we're too busy. Oh, I've got this on and that on. Listen, get rid of the distractions. There's a couple in one of the churches that are local to us and, and uh, he's the worship leader there, a young family, 
and they uh, contacted us a week or no, three weeks ago now, I guess, and said, look, we've switched off the TV. We're spending the evenings just worshipping and praying and waiting on God. How many know when people start doing that, something's going to shift? Something's going to shift. And I know for Daryl and I, about three months ago, God began to, well, actually in the middle of 2020, the Lord began to speak to me about a fresh wave of the Spirit breaking across the nation. But about three months ago, the Lord began to challenge us and, um, and we just shut everything down and just locking ourselves away, getting up earlier than we have and getting two or three hours each just alone with God, you know, with worship and meditation and, and waiting in his presence. And it was really interesting because God began to put his finger on little things, you know, and say, hey, get rid of that, sort that out, you know, this kind of, not big things. We've always prayed, we've always walked with the Lord, you know, for years. But when you get close to him, how many know, you know, it's like Isaiah in chapter 6. He's already a recognized prophet. He's a holy man. He's a man of God. But then he encounters the Lord in a new way. And he says, whoa, woe is me. You know, I'm unclean and, and whatever. And when you get close, it's like when you allow the word of God. You don't just read the word of God. You let it read you. It says it will divide between spirit and soul. It will show you that which is fleshly and soulish in your life and that which is truly spiritual. It divides between bone and marrow. Biblically, bone speaks of dead things. Marrow speaks of life, life-giving. How many know your marrow is actually incredibly important to your immune system and your health? And the Word of God, if you'll allow it to penetrate, it becomes that sharp two-edged sword and it gets in and it shows you those things that are life-giving and those things that are actually dead. And then it says it discerns the the thoughts and intents of your heart. How many know we don't even know what's in our own heart half the time? Yeah, there's a big response to that, yeah. That's why David says, search me, I've got to know my heart because we don't know what's going on. What if the musicians would come, please? Or keyboards or something or other. There are three things, and I'm not going to spend any time on this. You're going to throw them out. One is God's taking back control of the church right now in terms of leadership and, and the order of things and the way that, you know, in all sorts of ways, he's taking back control of our lives. The second thing is he's bringing us back to first love. And I know that's a statement that that bandied around church life a lot, but if you actually look at the text, it says, do the works of first love. And when you first fall in love, how many know you just want to hang out together? Can you remember when you fell in love? (laughs) I used to walk seven or eight kilometers at night to go and spend time with what was then my girlfriend, uh, walking in the dark of night across... Auckland to spend time with her and it wasn't just time with her the family was there, the TV's gone but I was with her how many know if you love somebody you're going to hang out with them if you love Jesus you should be hanging out if you're not hanging out with him you don't love him it's just a figment of your imagination it's like people that say, oh, I love my kids, but they never spent any time. They're, oh, no, we're too busy with business and career and la, 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 la. It's a figment of your imagination. If you love your kids, you'll spend time with them. Come on, somebody. The same. Bring us back to that. Bring us back to a greater degree of purity. 1 John 3 and verse 3 says, those that have their hope set in Jesus purify themselves as he is pure. 
cleaning up our lives. How many of you are hungry for more of God? Don't put up your hand. Because <laughs> this is an opportunity for you to touch God and God to touch you afresh. And I know, I know it's time's gone, but it's not gone that much. All over the world, in the Western nations in particular, church services have been shortened down. I got some information through from a pastor in New Zealand I know so well. Normally their Sunday service runs an hour and a half, hour and three quarters. And he's advertising the fact, bragging about it actually, that from now on their Sunday service is only going to be 70 minutes. Because everything is about convenience, comfort. And same people that want, you know, an hour and 15 minute service are happy to go to the movies and watch it for a couple of hours and they wouldn't be happy if that was shortened. It's just about priorities. (laughs) Right now, why don't you stand with me across this place? Come on, lift your hands to him. Close your eyes. Shut in with Jesus. You're hungry for him. Why don't you invite him? Just come and touch you, move upon you. Right across this place. Holy Spirit. We thank you that you're here. You're always here. You never leave us. But Lord, this morning I'm asking that you would come and reveal yourself. That you'd not just be here, but now you would move powerfully in our lives, touching hearts and minds. We were singing before, we're going to make room for you to do whatever you want to do. And right at this moment, I just release a fresh wave of your anointing, the flow of your river in this house, touching the life of every person that is hungry and reaching out to you in this moment. And we just invite you to come, move among us, touch our lives, heal us up, set us free, identify the blind spots in our life, show us the things we need to adjust that you might really have your way and we might see, Lord, just not a great time here together in your presence, but that, Father, you just begin to move across this whole region by the power of your Spirit and signs and wonders and miracles that we could see hundreds of people committing their lives to you. Hundreds of people, because you are not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And we pray, Father, today that you would just do something in our lives so we can never be the same, that you would stir a great hunger and a great passion for you, for your presence and your purposes. In Jesus' name.